Today we are continuing the series that we kicked off last weekend called The Heaven I Never Knew. And the whole idea behind this series is that for most of us, when we think of heaven, we don't think of fun, excitement, or joy. No, somewhere along the way, we've bought into this bad, boring version of heaven that's only kind of reinforced our fear of dying in life, passing from this world to the next and whatever that looks like, right? And If you think about it, life in a lot of ways is kind of backwards. I mean, can you imagine if the entire life cycle as we know it were to be reversed in some way? I mean, let's just suppose that that were the case for just a second. As we begin life, wouldn't it be great if we could die first and kind of get that out of the way? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, after that happens, we then go into the retirement home and we live there for about 15 years or so. And each day that we wake up, we wake up healthier and stronger and our knees are more sturdy, our wrinkles become less and the back hair just kind of disappears. I mean, what if that were the case for men as well, all right? And so after about 15 years or so, we then have to leave the retirement home because we're too young. And so we start a career. We find a job. And on the first day of our job, what would it be like if we received a gold watch from our boss and and then our uh, coworkers surprised us with a luncheon where they, in all sincerity, talked about how much they loved us and how excited they are to work alongside us. And and maybe we'd work in our job for about 40 years or so, and, and then it would be time for college, all right? Now, here's the thing about college. What would it look like if we actually graduated first and then went through four or maybe six years for some of us here, all right? I mean, can you imagine if there was any less pressure to go to class if you actually graduated before you went to college? I mean, that's backwards, right? And so after college, then it's high school and then middle school. Middle school would kind of represent the last decade of our life. And, and during that time, our body would begin experiencing some changes and our voice would crack, guys, and we would go through something called puberty, all right? And then we would continue to grow younger and younger and younger. And so as a child, we really have no responsibilities. It's at the end of our life. We have no worries whatsoever. Our only job in life is to have fun. And get this, you would actually learn to appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? And so then we continue to grow smaller into a baby where we spend our last nine months as a human floating around in our mother's womb, and and then our life ends as a sparkle in our daddy's eye. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, that sounds a little bit backwards to us because we're used to a normal life cycle that is uh, just the opposite of what we talked about, but what would it really be like to live free from this fear of dying? I mean, can you even imagine that? I mean, a lot of us fear it, and and we're afraid of what that's going to look like for us, so much so that over the course of time, we've been open to just accepting and believing every belief about the afterlife that sounds peaceful, that sounds comforting, right? And yet the place that it's led us to is a view of heaven that may not be all that accurate. You see, how we imagine heaven, how we imagine heaven determines how much we want heaven, determines how much we desire it, right? And you see, the problem with a lot of our views of heaven, we learned about this last week, the problem with a lot of our views and images of heaven is that what comes to mind when we hear that word is far too small. 
It's very limited, right? Now, if you're a guest with us today, and maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus, and you're thinking, boy, talking about the afterlife, that seems a little bit weird, strange, mystical. To that, I'd say you're exactly right, all right? Uh, There is something a bit out of the ordinary talking about the afterlife, because none of us have been there before. And so if that's where you find yourself today, I just want to tell you to relax, okay? You don't need to believe like us in order to belong here. You don't need to believe in order to be welcome here at Crossroads. And so you can just tune or just sit back for the next few minutes, okay? Now, before we go any further, I want all of us in here to understand that the next two weeks in this series, we don't know what we're going to talk about, okay? Now, that's by design. Because here's the reality, when I stand up here and teach and walk through scripture, I can only walk through so much content and material until some of you begin falling asleep, okay? And so I've gotta be very selective in regards to what we talk about in here. And so when it comes to this idea of heaven, a lot of us, it piques our curiosity, we've got a lot of questions about what's to come, and so what I want you to do is, I want you to take out your phones, okay, and I want you to help us determine what we're going to talk about the next two weeks in this series as we, as we learn about heaven, okay? Now, we've divided this up into a few different categories, all right? Now, if you pull out your phone, what I want you to do is I want you to simply text 62953, okay? And uh, whatever question you may have about heaven, categorize it according to these four categories. A stands for worship, B, activity, C, angels, D, relationships, okay? And so maybe you, you probably don't know the question now. We're going to walk through some stuff today, but as we walk through it, maybe you want to know more about what it is that we're talking about. Maybe we only scratch the surface on your question. And so, for example, if your question is, when Grandma Betty died, did she become an angel? All right, now, if that's your question, then you would simply text 62953 to C. You would text C to that number. Does, it, does that make sense? And so you might want to write this down so that you can reference it, uh, because in the next few minutes, uh, this is going to be a live poll, okay? And then at the end of the service, we are going to flash up the results, and we're going to take everything from last night to the two services today, and uh, from there, determine what the next two weekends are going to look like in regards uh, to heaven, more specifically, all right? Now today, we are going to open up our Bibles to uh, the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn there now. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible in the seat right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it should be on one of those tables as you walked in a minute ago. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible in front of you is, is yours to keep. Consider that a gift from us to you. Revelation is the very last book in all of Scripture, okay? Now, there's a little bit of mystery around the book of Revelation, and understand that the point of this book isn't for us to determine the exact timing, hour, minute, day, all that of when Jesus is going to return. The point of Revelation isn't so we know who the Antichrist is, okay? And contrary to what you may think, the Antichrist is not your mother-in-law, all right? And so when you think of Revelation, I want you to think of encouragement, think of anticipation, Because, you see, the original intent of this book was written by a guy named John. God gave him some visions of heaven, and the intent was for John to pass on these visions and these pictures that he had to some Christians during the first century who were going through a really tough time. They were encountering persecution from the Roman Empire. And so these images of heaven, of the afterlife, was to create this anticipation in the church. Like, this world, we're just passing through. There's more to come. And so one of these visions that we're going to look at can be found in chapter 21. If you're following along, pick up with me in verse 1. Here's what we read. 
John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, I want you to notice right off how John mentions and references two different kinds of heavens here, okay? There's a new heaven, and then there's the first heaven. Now, contrary to what you may have believed or thought, there are actually two kinds of heavens in Scripture, okay? I first want us to look at this first heaven and see what, what this is all about. Now, for the sake of clarity, we're simply going to refer to this first heaven as the temporary heaven, all right? This is the heaven of today. This is the present eternity for those who die in Christ. Some refer to the temporary heaven as life after death for Christians. Now, this isn't the heaven where we will live forever. That's why some refer to this as the intermediate state. All right, think of this as like a brief paradise in Jesus' presence. When we die, our physical bodies remain here on earth while our souls, our spirits, in other words, the essence of who we are, goes to be in the presence of Jesus in, in this temporary heaven. Earlier in the book of Revelation, the Lord allowed John to have an image and picture of the temporary heaven. I want you to take a look at, at what John saw when he looked Revelation chapter 6, he said this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, John says, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And so the souls that John saw right here were the martyrs of those who died because of their belief in Jesus. And so we can make some pretty safe assumptions based upon the temporary heaven in light of what John tells us right here. All right, of the two different kinds of heavens in Scripture, the temporary heaven is what we know the least about, okay? But in light of what he says here, we can make some safe assumptions. After death, we will immediately enter into God's presence and maintain our personal identities. The individuals that John saw here were the same individuals that died for their faith here on earth. In this heaven, we will remember our life here, okay? After death, we may be aware of events here on earth, and we can assume that the questions they asked God was because of how evil they saw the world had become since they died. Do you remember what Jesus told the criminal? hanging on the cross beside him that repented and believed in him and said, Jesus, you really are who you say you are. What did Jesus tell him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that's the heaven that Jesus was referring to. And so here's the main thing that I want you to remember and I want you to hang on to about the temporary heaven. It goes like this, that life after death will supersede our life before death. Life after death will supersede our life before death. Now, sometimes people want to know about purgatory, okay? It's this belief that was started by the Catholic Church, and, and the belief basically goes like this, that some people die believing in Jesus, but they've got some sin in their life, they've got some stuff that they've never really worked out, and it hasn't been paid for, it hasn't been confessed, and, and so purgatory is just kind of this temporary place where these Christians, these believers die, and they go to, it's kind of like a, a temporary holding cell, and, and they have to work off the sins that they had committed in the past and, and they are purified over the course of time maybe by the good works of loved ones here on earth or by the prayers of loved ones here on earth, okay? Now, I never really believed in purgatory until I went to Walmart, okay? <laughs> now, I understand that there's no scriptural support for the belief of purgatory. 
This belief actually didn't emerge in the church until about the 13th century by a priest named Thomas Aquinas. And, and this belief was kind of the foundation for what was later known as indulgences. And indulgences were uh, the way that the church at the time coerced people into giving larger donations and more money to the church so that the priests or the leadership could somehow transition their dead loved ones into a better place. And, and so it was very manipulative on their part. There, there's no scriptural evidence for this. And it was a tradition that was started over a thousand years after the start of the church. Now, even modern-day influential Catholic theologians and leaders deny the existence of purgatory, including Pope Benedict, okay? And understand that if you think about it, purgatory itself, it completely diminishes the cross. It lessens what Jesus did for us, and, and the subtle message is that how you live here on earth, it doesn't really matter. Ironically, the first Catholic pope, a guy by the name of Peter, kind of subtly addressed purgatory by saying this, Denying his existence, he said, look, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. In other words, Jesus is enough. His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, all right, to cover all your sins, past, present, and future. Get this, the cross is greater than the sin that you haven't confessed, the sin that you've overlooked or forgotten about. Life after death will supersede our life before death because of what Christ has done. There's nothing in this world that you can face that is bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if the temporary, so if this is what the temporary heaven looks like, what does our forever home look like? What does it look like to become, enter safely home, as Peter says right here? Well, let's keep going in our main text, Revelation 21, look at verse 2. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, the permanent heaven is described as this massive city. Later on, John said that he saw an angel measure out the dimensions of the city, okay? And it's a massive, massive place. It, it's huge. Now, from a perspective of width, height, and length, altogether, it measures just shy of 2 million square miles, okay? Now, from top to bottom, if you were to take an elevator from the bottom of the city to the top, suppose there would be an elevator in this forever heaven, it would require going through 740,000 stories just to get to the top. It's 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep. And what's interesting is that in Scripture, the story of God and us begins in a garden, but as we see it right here, it ends in a city. And so the idea that we get all throughout Scripture is that an improvement, a progression has happened for the better, for, the, for, for, for our good, for, for what's greater. Now, if you think about it, in Genesis chapter 1, it was a perfect world. Sin hadn't entered uh, the world at the time. The curse hadn't taken effect upon all creation, upon our lives. And yet, in Revelation chapter 21, we still see an improvement take place. Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis, or Re Revelation 21 says here that, that God, all of a sudden, has created a new heaven and a new earth. And, and so there's a good progression taking place, and this is where we will be forever. It's a perfect paradise for us. 
I'll never uh, forget when I first moved here from Dallas about 40 years ago, I had a lady come up to me in the lobby after one of my first weekends, and, and she said, oh, Patrick, you're just going to love living in Evansville. This is such a, a great city. And she said, now, let me tell you something. Pretty soon, you're going to learn why I refer to this place as Heavensville. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting. All right? Okay? <laughs> and so what are some features of this city that we read about in Scripture? Well, let's look at this more, more specifically, okay? What's it going to be like to live there? The first feature goes like this. We will experience authentic community. We will experience authentic community. John said that the city will come down to earth and be prepared like a bride meets her husband at the altar, okay? During the first century, you have to understand that weddings were a really big deal back then. It's tough for us to overemphasize that. It, it, was, it was more of a, of a deal, not just for the families, but for the community as well, the receptions alone, get this, typically lasted over a week. It wasn't just an occasion to celebrate the bride and the groom or the marriage, but it was also an event to unite the community together, to bring opposing parties together as one. Well, we're told in Scripture that one of the first things that we're going to do when this new city comes down to this earth is we're going to have a huge banquet, a big wedding reception, and here's what's going to take place. Isaiah 25 says it like this. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It'll be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and, and choice meat. You see, understand that this table, that this place, there will be no more crying. You see, this table is, is the moment when crying will transition into laughter. The table will be the place where shame is replaced with honor. The table will mark the moment when prejudice is replaced with unity. Jealousy towards each other won't exist. You won't be forgotten. You won't be overlooked. That's what this table represents for us. Daryl and Jen Marin of our church, uh, I don't know if you know this, but they foster kids, and, and they recently made this decision, and According to the state of Indiana, you have to go through a lot of training and certification, and uh, once you're certified, you could get a call from a social worker at any point in time, and, and they may have two kids for you, they may have three, and these kids, if you choose to accept, may stay in your home for anywhere from a few days to a few weeks to a few months. You just don't know. Why? Because these kids come from a very broken background, broken homes, and, and it's greatly dependent upon the development and progression of the parents if it's a safe place where they can return back to. Now... One of the reasons why Daryl and Jen have chosen to foster is because they want to teach their two boys, Cade and Chase, their biological children, about the importance of loving people, all people, no matter how different they may look, no matter how different they may be. And, and honestly, a lot of these foster kids that they bring in are, are, come from a very, again, broken background. They lack hygiene. They lack manners. They lack social development in a lot of ways. And, and they've been neglected. They're malnourished in, in some ways, depending upon the home. And so this has just been a great lesson for their two boys about what it really looks like to love all people, what unity really looks like, and, and to not allow differences to come between us. Well, a couple months ago, I met uh, one of their foster kids out in the atrium afterwards, and I kind of bent down and I said, hey, my name is Patrick. And, and before she could even respond, a Chase, their seven-year-old, interrupted me and said, hey, Mr. Patrick, this is my new sister. <laughs> Can you imagine a place where we are that quickly, we are that quickly, to welcome one another, embrace one another. 
You see, there's something about life here that we just get calloused over time and we see differences among one another and we define one another based upon the area of town in which you live, the neighborhood where you live, the car that you drive, the job that you have, or the clothes that you wear, right? We see each other based upon differences, but this table here in the new city, it's going to represent the, the, the complete removal of that. It's a place where racism will die. It's a place where there will be no more prejudice. It's a place where you can't feel jealousy towards one another. You can't look down on one another, okay? There won't be this pressure to measure up or or to feel like I'm not good enough. No, it's a place where authentic community is going to happen for us once and for all time. Pick up with me in verse 4. John says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. While this means that the new heaven and the new earth will be a place where there's no pain, grieving, or suffering, it also describes how we're going to be incapable of experiencing some emotions that we have become very accustomed to in this life. And so here's the second feature of this city that I want us to notice. It goes like this. We will experience a perfect body. We will experience a perfect body. Now, based upon the amount of times that a lot of people on Facebook post gym selfies, you get the impression that they already think they have that perfect body. You know what I'm saying? All right, but this is going to be a place where, where it's real, it's true. All right, this is a city where, you, where your body will be unimaginable. What I want you to do, I want you to turn to the person beside you and I just want you to tell them you will look good there. All right, <laughs> kind of awkward. I'm sorry if you're a guest with us today, sing, sorry. All right, came by yourself. Throw in the word finally and say that again. You will, <laughs> no, don't do that. Bad advice. Now, when Jesus returns and he makes all things new, we'll be given this body that is free from the curse of sin and death and aging. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. He said, Jesus will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, Paul is saying that eternity will be a place where we will be like Jesus more than ever. In another letter, Paul described it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, for we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. In other words, our bodies aren't the issue. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Now, sometimes we think of heaven, we have this picture that we're not going to recognize each other, we're just going to be a bunch of spirits or souls floating around aimlessly, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. We're going to be given a better body than we've had here before. We will recognize one another, we will dwell with loved ones, we will have community with them once again, okay? Now again, we're so used to having bodies that are less than perfect that it's tough for us to imagine this. Rick Kyle has preached here several times in the past six months. He was my uh, youth pastor uh, when I was growing up. And I remember he used to tell us back in high school, he was over 300 pounds at that time, by the way. And he used to always tell us, hey, guys, I have the body of a Greek god, and that god is Buddha. (laughs) Well, Buddha's not Greek, but you know what? That's all right. Uh, There will be no Buddha bodies in heaven, okay? It'll be a place where we don't have to take Tylenol, aspirin won't exist, doctors, physical therapists. There will be no need for it. We will enjoy foods. Get this, we will even enjoy foods and not have to worry about maintaining our perfect bodies. How awesome will that be? Here's something else I want us to see about this new new heaven and new earth. We will experience satisfying work. We'll experience satisfying work. I know some of us think that heaven will just be about doing nothing, all right? But that's not the image we're given in the Bible, 
Remember, before sin entered the world, we talked about this last week, God entrusted Adam and Eve with a job description. He gave them a purpose and a mission, and that purpose was to reign over the entire earth, all of creation, and to help God manage it and and rule over it. Look at verse 6 in our text. John said, he said to me, it is done, Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. You see, John was hearing Jesus reinforce how ultimate satisfaction will be our ever-present reality. It's what we're going to constantly know. You see, this is the place that we were designed to live. One of the curses of sin in this world is that we work hard and we sweat and we groan and we feel like, I'm just not there. Have I made a difference? Have I made an impact? Now, the most common source of dissatisfaction in our culture today is hands down the workplace, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, let me ask you something. When you were younger, when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, what kind of dreams did you have? At one point in time, I wanted to be a professional basketball player, and and then I got a little bit older, and I wanted to go on tour uh, with the PGA and realized that wasn't going to happen. And and then I wanted to be a doctor, kind of like my dad, but then I realized pretty quickly that if to be a doctor, you have to actually be good at school, and that was a problem, and my parents always encouraged me to pursue medicine until my sophomore year of high school. I came home so excited and elated because I got two points above an F on a chemistry test. <laughs> and Maybe you ought to look at something else, Patrick. Maybe you ought to pursue something else. You know what I'm saying? There's something about life, though, that the more we live, the older we get, our dreams just become less and less and less, and Cynicism tends to take root, and we're not so innocent anymore. We're not so naive. And so the dreams that we once had as a child all of a sudden fade away. It's a distant memory for us, right? Now, I love what I get to do. I mean, there's nothing else that I would rather do than serve as a pastor, to preach, and and to to be here. And uh, I love what I do. I love working really hard and coming home in the evenings and kind of spending a lot of my energy and time with the last of it with my family and uh, then going to bed, just hitting the pillow, exhausted. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes, if you know what this means, sometimes there's just not enough time to rest. That We have more need for rest than time allows it because of our jobs, families, different demands that we have upon us in life. Two weeks ago on Easter weekend, we had a 7 a.m. service uh, on Sunday mornings, kind of the sunrise service. And I joked for about six weeks before then, hey, who wants to preach that service? You know, uh, I don't want to get up that early. Can't believe we decided to do that. And, and so the night before, on Saturday night, I set my alarm six different times all throughout my room, okay, because I didn't want to oversleep. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. One alarm just wasn't going to do it. So I went to sleep. I woke up and realized that it was light outside. Now, I woke up because my phone on my side table kept vibrating back and forth. The ringer wasn't even on. I then woke up, opened my eyes, and realized that it was 6.47 a.m., 13 minutes until the start of service. I looked at my phone. I had missed four calls from a staff member, and on the fifth time they called, I jumped out of bed and ran around the house because I wanted to at least sound like I had been up for a little while, and I picked up the phone, and the first question that was asked of me is, where have you been? What have you been doing? So I wanted to play it cool, right? I said, well, I've just been praying. Um, It's all good, man. I'll be right there, okay? Jumped in the shower, ran here, kind of had a walk of shame through the atrium as some of the volunteers were out there, and I was kind of discombobulated about 10 minutes after the start of service. And do you know what that feels like, though, waking up, realizing that you're late, and it's like you're rushed, and your day gets started in chaos, right? 
And yet heaven's going to be a place where we don't experience that. We experience adequate wet rest, yet we're not bound by time. We're not going to be bound by some of the limits that, that we've had here. Now, sometimes we feel the most empty and sad after we accomplish something big in life. And, and here's why. We start to think that our best days are behind us. But for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, that's not true. See, the best is yet to come. And while it's totally normal for us to not look forward to death, a question I want to ask you today goes like this. Can you look beyond it? Can you look beyond the reality of what happens after death? You see, I wonder if some of us are so addicted to work in this life because we think that this world is the only chance that we're going to have to contribute, to achieve, and to be productive. So how would things change for you if you realize that that's not the case, that eternity is going to be a place where you can use your skills, your gifts, for a greater purpose? Here's the fourth feature of heaven. It goes like this. We will experience endless worship. All right, we'll experience endless worship. I know that doesn't sound all that appealing for some of us. Well, are we just going to sing songs over and over again forever and ever and ever and ever and amen and repeat the same lines over and over again, right? Check out verse 7 in our text. John says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and, and they will be my children, God said. Now, we're told that the new heaven and the new earth will be a place where we will constantly experience God's presence. It'll be a daily reality for us. And, and really, that's what true worship is all about. It's, it's about declaring how great God is and being reminded of all that he's done for us. Life in this world tends to throw us out of sorts, out of alignment. We get distracted. Our emotions, hearts, and, and our focus gets off course. We forget what we have in Christ, right? And that's why we miss the point in worship when we make it about a how rather than the who. And so is it any coincidence that in the past 30 years, worship, the one thing in the church that is intended to unify all brothers and sisters in Christ, to remind us of where our focus ultimately belongs, that over the past three decades here in America, that alone has been the source of so much divisiveness, division, and corruption even in the church? You see, when we make worship about a style, Jesus is not glorified. When we interpret people's motives or we interpret their hearts or we determine what's really going on and why they did this, Jesus is not glorified. Now, when we keep our focus on Jesus and Jesus alone, we can be guaranteed that we won't, we won't be frustrated. No, because he alone will never disappoint us. Now, here at Crossroads, we have existed in for the past five decades here in this community for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to reach as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time. And over the course of these five decades, our, our worship style has certainly looked differently. Now, understand this. God could care less about a style of worship. He doesn't care, okay? There's not a style out there that is more spiritual over another. We all have our preferences. There's no doubt about that. But do you know who does care about styles? Our culture. And so that's why we must continue to evolve and change because it is a tool for us to reach people who are far from God. And therefore, one day we are going to come to a place where worship isn't just about music and singing. That is a way to worship, but it's not the way to worship. No, heaven's going to be a place where we will worship through our rest, through work, through relationships, our sense of humor or creativity. It, it, worship is more than just singing. Somebody once said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I wonder how many of us that that describes. 
And so realize that heaven will be a place where you will worship by learning a new hobby. You may worship by painting. John later says that the new city will be full of enormous buildings and, and bright colored jewelry. Some of you will take joy in admiring works of art or, or maybe using your engineering skills. Now, even though this world has been tainted by sin, I want you just to think for a second how the evolution of ideas, technology, engineering, and musical abilities that have still occurred because some minds that God created were willing to create as well. We're willing to take that risk and, and emulate their creator. So you think about the invention of electricity, I mean, the internet, heart transplant surgeries, trips to outer, to outer space, skyscrapers, 1956, Ford Thunderbirds, all right, Frank Sinatra, country music, the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Lady Gaga. Yeah, just seeing if you're paying attention, all right? <laughs> now, some researchers say that we only use about 10% of our minds in life, and some of us, maybe not even that much. <laughs> but what would it look like for us to actually use 100% of what God has given us? And so I think heaven's going to be a place where we will reflect God's glory by doing just that. Skip down to verse 10. Let's look at this last feature of heaven. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, what's going on here? Well, the vision that John had of the new heaven and the new earth was full of nature and topography that we're familiar with on this planet. The natural world was cursed by sin back in the garden. And since then, Mother Nature has been full of chaos. And there's been a lot of animosity with humanity. And we've been at odds, right, with, with Mother Nature. And, and so here's the last feature that I want us to see about the new heaven and new earth. It goes like this. We will experience reconciliation with nature. We will experience reconciliation with nature. God originally assigned Adam and Eve with the task of caring for animals and creation. God will hold us accountable for how well we cared for not just people, but for his creation as well. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 tells us that the godly are concerned about the welfare of their animals. There's no reason to doubt or not believe that animals, even your pets, won't be in heaven. God populated the earth from the beginning in his perfect design. And you know what? Animals were there. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says it like this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now this verse tells us that creation enables us to know God more, right? I mean, the mountains, the stars, the galaxies, Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, that informs us a little bit more about who God is. But this is also talking about when we look at a lion, when we look at a tiger, a grizzly bear, your dog, your cat, that informs us a little bit more clearly about the God who created these animals. When I was a little kid, I had a golden retriever named Molly, and unknowingly at the time, God was using this dog to tell me more about himself, about the God who created her, because she was loyal, she showed me unconditional love, and, and in essence, I look back and realize that was kind of God's way of saying, I, I'm like that, and even more, and, and even better. And so in the new heaven and the new earth, you will be able to pet a lion, pet a grizzly bear, without fearing it attacking you. Now, more than just enjoying animals, though, our reconciliation with nature will enable us to discover aspects of the earth that maybe we never did in this life. What would it be like to travel to different places? What would it be like to hike your favorite mountain range? Now, as great as all these features of the new heaven and the new earth is, the best thing of all is that Jesus is going to be there. Many of us probably remember over six months ago on the early morning hours of November 13th what happened 
Three generations of the Reinhardt family were taken from this world to heaven in a car accident coming home from Indianapolis. David, Ruth Ann, and Sophie uh, were all killed. And in that moment, they transitioned from this life to the next. And that's been a lot of pain. And we've walked through a lot of grief together as a church family just because that's one of those moments that just doesn't make sense. You can't, how do you ever get beyond that? This past week, I was talking with Sophie's uh, good friend, Peyton Thompson. Sophie was 17 years old, and Peyton's in high school. And, and I was just asking her how she was doing, and she told me that, you know, she's doing okay, but every now and then she gets ambushed by some grief or anger and, and questions about why this happened. And, and so I asked her to explain that a little bit more, and she went on to tell me. She said, well, for example, back in February when we had our daddy-daughter dance here, that was just another subtle reminder for me that, Riley and Josie, Sophie's sisters, they they didn't have a dad to dance with at that dance. And so as she's processing this anger, she went to her older sister, Megan, and and Megan just kind of said, hey, Peyton, let me just tell you something. Let me remind you something. On the night of the daddy-daughter dance, first of all, Sophie got to dance with her dad in heaven. And there is a day coming when Josie and Riley will get to dance with their father as well. But, But understand this, Peyton, Sophie right now gets the best dance of them all, and that is with Jesus. You know, there is a day coming when we will all transition from this life to the next, and we will stand in the presence of the one who paid it all. And honestly, words won't be able to describe what we're going to experience. And throw up points up here. We can try to imagine. We can try to define it. But you know what? It's, it's going to be unexplainable. There are no words that will do it justice. And maybe for the past 30 minutes as I've been walking through what we're going to experience, what we're going to see and hear, you kind of sit to yourself and wonder, am I going to be there? I, I don't know. I don't have that assurance. And so what does it take? Well, Jesus comes to you today and says, look, you can be accepted simply by accepting what I'm offering you, and that is this free gift of salvation, of grace. And, and so you might be thinking, well, what, what do I need to do to respond to that? How do I receive it? Well, Jesus said it best in John chapter 3. He said, look, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so it starts by believing that Jesus really is who he said he was and trusting him even though life may not make sense, even though you may have questions. And then the Bible goes so far to say if you've made that decision, your next step needs to be baptism. Because what baptism represents is is this cleansing, this washing, this restoration that's happened where your old life has passed away, this new life has come, it's now your reality, and it's a, a visible sign, it's symbolic to tell everybody, I don't want my past to have any reign and control over me any longer. I don't have all the answers. I'm broken. I don't deserve this gift of grace. But baptism is that moment where you say, but you know what? I have found the one. I have found the one who's paid it all for me. And that's a decision some of you need to make. I want you to know that in three weeks, we're going to have baptism weekend here at Crossroads. And if you, have, uh, if you have never taken that step towards Jesus, or maybe you've chosen to believe in the past, but you've just never followed through with baptism, I want to encourage you to consider doing that. All right, I don't want to manipulate you into it. I don't want to play off your emotions, but three weeks in advance, I want you just to begin praying, God, is this something that you're calling me to do? Maybe you have a lot of questions. Maybe you know this is something. This is a step that I need to take. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to simply to, uh, go to cccgo.com slash baptism, okay? 
and fill that form out there. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know if you do want to plan on being baptized on that weekend, and we're going to take care of you. We'll answer your questions. We'll help you take your next step, okay? If you're here today and you, and you want to talk now, you want to talk before you leave, then simply hang around afterwards. Our section host, they wear some red lanyards. They will uh, approach you, and, and they're just volunteers that we've empowered, that we've selected to, to help come alongside you, whatever your life looks like, pray with you, talk with you, hear you out, whatever that looks like, all right? I'm going to pray. Dave's going to come back out here. We'll look at what the new, next two weeks are probably going to look like in this series, and then, uh, and then we'll leave. Let's pray. God, this place sounds too good to be true, and I know for a lot of us, um, our life is defined so much by mourning and crying and tears and pain and and yet continue to remind us over and over again that, that a day is quickly approaching when all of that will be no more. And when we pass from this life to the next, because of you, Jesus, those of us who've said, I, I trust you, we will immediately enter into your presence and what we will experience can't even be described by words and yet create within us a greater and deeper hunger and anticipation for what that's going to be like. Thank you for Jesus who paid it all. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.